Well, good morning and welcome to Catalyst. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad to see all you guys here. Thank you for joining us online. Those of you that are joining us, I know we have several different states uh, represented. We've got Kentucky, we've got Tennessee, Virginia, Alabama, California, Arizona. We also have our missionaries in Honduras, our friends in India, the kids in the orphanage that this is now part of their curriculum where they have to hear a Kentucky accent. And yeah, they're learning how to speak Kentucky, so when we go over there, they're going to be saying, y'all. They're going to be saying, hey, we're fixing to go to church, you know, all that good stuff. We love you guys. Um, Guys, we're continuing in our series um, called Roadblocks, Tough Questions, things that that, uh, are are stumbling blocks to people on their journey to the Christian faith. And so uh, today we're talking about probably, I think, the most difficult one, the thing that is unsettling to the most amount of people, and that is how could a loving God send people to hell? That is a very, very difficult conversation to have with people. It's a very difficult thing to wrap our minds around because it just doesn't seem to mesh with our concept of Jesus um, how could someone as, as kind, as loving, as forgiving, as graceful as the Son of God send people to hell? It just doesn't seem to jive. I, I, when I was in college, I worked in a lumberyard, uh, and there was this young man named Dennis who came to work with us, and he found out I was, going to, I was planning on being a pastor. And so he asked me, we, we clocked in at 7 a.m., and we went out to go work on, on the forklifts, and he looked at me and said, do you believe that God sends people to hell? Man, I haven't had coffee yet. Don't do this to me at 7 a.m. Do I believe what now? And he said, do you believe that God sends people to hell? And I said, well, in the Bible, it says that there will be people in hell. So I, I, I guess, I, don't, I guess I haven't really thought about it. And he goes, well, I don't want any part of a God that would do that. And I thought to myself, I, I, and I answered, all right, went back to, my, back to my job. And later on, he said, I don't think you heard me. He said, I don't want any part of a God that would send people to hell. And, uh, and, and I said, well, Dennis, um, it doesn't really matter if you want to be a part or not. I said, I could say that I don't want any part of weather that's going to get colder in the wintertime. But it's still going to happen. And I said, man, you know, your beliefs on God doesn't make him real or imaginary. Your beliefs on hell doesn't make it real or imaginary. What do you do when you hear that wintertime is coming, you buy a coat, right? I said, well, I recommend you doing something like that. Now, that really was an interesting conversation to have with somebody at work. Uh, and, and I've thought about how Christianity in America has changed over the years. If you and I lived in the 1700s, we would hear a very, very different type preaching than we hear now in American pulpits. You want to know what was being preached in the 1700s? There's a guy named Jonathan Edwards who preached a famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Maybe you guys uh, studied that in school. I think that is actually still taught in public schools, which is interesting. Let me give you a little snippet. If you, live, if you came to church in the 1700s, the kind of preaching you would hear. Listen to this. 
The wrath of God is like great waters that are dammed up for the present. They increase more and more. They rise higher and higher until an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course. When once it is let loose, it is true the judgment against your evil works. Yeah. At that point, people are like hiding under the pews. Okay? Uh, has not been executed hitherto. The floods of God's vengeance have been withheld, but your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing. And you uh, uh, are every day treasuring up more wrath. The waters are constantly rising and growing more and more mighty. There's nothing but the mere pleasure of God that holds it back. And should he only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open, and the fiery floods of, God, of the fierceness and wrath of God would rush forth in inconceivable fury. And it would come upon you with omnipotent power. And if your strength were 10,000 times greater than it is that, yea, 10,000 times greater than the strength of the stoutest, sturdiest devil in hell, it would be nothing to withstand or endure it. And this is the part I like the best. The bow of God's wrath is bent, the arrow made ready on the string, and the justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God that with, without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. That's what you hear in the 1700s. <clears throat> and we've gone from that to what we have now with near <clears throat> a mention of judgment of hell <clears throat> of accountability for actions As a matter of fact the concept of hell has completely disappeared from american churches it really has i remember being in seminary and this was during the seeker sensitive movement of the 90s and we were told that things of hell, talk of hell or judgment or, or punishment was, an off, it was a turnoff to people. And if we wanted to grow our churches, we would, and we would not mention those things. Instead, we would co concentrate on the positives, the things God could do for you. I was taught this in my graduate studies. Well, what has been the result of that? Let me tell you what the results of that kind of preaching in the 1700s was. Revival. Yeah. There were people turning to Christ in droves. How about now? Are we seeing that now? No, the disappearance of hell from American pulpits and from American Christianity has been a bad thing for us. It's been a bad thing for us. Now, I understand that we can't always talk about people going to hell. That, that, that's, not the, that's not the main thrust of Christianity. However, the disappearance of it, the fact that we don't talk about it, has not been good for the church, has not been good for Christianity. See, and, and so what I wanted to tell Dennis, if I could tell Dennis something now, I would tell him this, and this is the main thing, is that you get to heaven or hell the same way you get anywhere else. You pick your path and you go. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So let's, let's take a look at what Jesus had to say about this topic. The first thing he said is this. Jesus told us there is a place called hell, and he spoke about it, about, about it more than just about anything else. Did you know that? 
that Jesus spent most of his ministry, the, great, great, the largest part of his ministry, talking about hell. He did. Matthew 5.22, Jesus says this, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which means you fool, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Matthew 5.29, Jesus says this, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Matthew 10.28, Jesus says this, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 23, 33. He, he talking to the, to the Pharisees, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? And we could go on and on and on about these things. But the plain and simple fact is Jesus Christ himself believed in hell. And he believed people were going there. He took it very seriously. All right? But what is hell? What is it? We, it's, it's disappeared from American pulpits, so most people think it's a place where, you know, there, there's some flames and a, and a comical figure of Satan, red tights, and a pitchfork goes around poking people. You know, that, that's what a lot of people believe hell is. That's the popular image here in, in the me, mainstream media. But it, the Bible says something completely different. The first thing the Bible says that hell is, is it, it describes it as a lake of burning sulfur. I, that I, don't, I don't know what burning sulfur is. I've never seen sulfur burn, but uh, I, I guess it's smoky and smells bad, I guess. A lake of burning sulfur. That's in Revelation 20, verse 10. And that is a place where, in Revelation 20, 10, Satan and, and his false prophet are thrown, okay, when Jesus wins. The second thing in Revelation 20, 10, it says that it's a place of torment forever and ever. It's eternal. That's what the Bible tells us. Um, the third thing is that the Bible tells us is that it's a place where Satan has free reign. He can do whatever he wants. Satan, evil, has free reign. There is nothing holding him back. You know, I, I, we've seen a small glimpse of what something like that would look like um, in, the, in the recent uh, last month where lawlessness and chaos and, 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 and riots and everything, like that, where things have broken down. If you looked at Minneapolis and the nights of the riots, there, there, people, there was nothing holding the rioters back. People were burning and breaking into things, looting stores, this kind of thing, where basically lawlessness was rampant. And in a lawless situation, might makes right. That becomes the, that becomes the, the, the determiner. Whoever has the most power, has the, it does whatever he wants. And so that is a, a small microcosm of what hell is like, where evil has free reign. There's nothing holding Satan back. And if you think you've seen that here on earth, you haven't. The book of Job tells us that Satan can only do as much as God lets him do. Read the book of Job if you don't believe that. Basically, God has Satan on a leash. He said, you can do this and no more. You can do this and no more. You can do this and no more. Well, in hell, that is gone. Basically, God has withdrawn, and Satan can do whatever he wants. That is hell, all right? So why would a loving God create a place like this? Why would a place like this exist? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we're going to talk about it. There are two reasons why God would do something like this, and it makes perfect sense. First thing is justice, for justice. It's a big word right now. Justice. 
Uh, Revelation 20, verse 12. This is how it all ends. Check this out. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And see, guys, in our era of cultural permissiveness, where, it, where we don't think anybody should suffer the consequences of their actions, I, I, I take that back. We don't think we should uh, uh, suffer the consequences of our actions. That's fine for everybody else. But we don't think we should. It's hard to believe that anyone would ever be held accountable for their actions. It's hard for us to believe that. We live in a world that says, don't judge. And if you do judge, you're a terrible, horrible, no good, awful, low down, sorry, bigot, worthy of death. Right? Very judgmental. Uh, the tendency, though, is to superimpose our cultural understanding onto the Bible. And that is where everything breaks down. And, and we see the Bible is wrong when it contradicts our normal way of thinking. Francis Chan, in his book, Erasing Hell, I love this, you guys. This is great. Listen to this. He said this, I would love to think, as some have suggested, that the Bible doesn't actually say a whole lot about hell. I would love to stare at my friend's face when he asked me that question we all fear, do you think I'm going to hell? And say, no, there's no such place. Jesus loves you and wants you to heal your pain and turn your sorrows into gladness. But the New Testament writers didn't have the same allergic reaction to hell as I do. Perhaps they had a view of God that is bigger than mine, a view of God that takes him at his word and doesn't try to make him fit our own moral standards and our, and our human sentimentality, a view of God that believes what he says, even when it doesn't make perfect sense to us. See, guys, the hard truth, the hard truth is that there are consequences for what we do. For there are consequences for our sins. There are consequences for rejecting Christ. And that belief was actually fairly normal until recent times. That, that would not have raised the hair on the back of a Christian's neck 100 years ago. It wouldn't have. It does now. Alec de Tocqueville, I love this, that this coincided with Fourth of July weekend because this speaks an awful lot, not only about what we're talking about today, but to our national identity. Alec de Tocqueville, scholar from France, journeyed to America to see why America was so exceptional. Why, why after just a few years of its founding, um, uh, it, it was so prosperous, seemed to have so few of the problems plaguing Europe at the time in the 1800s. And he wrote this, I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields and boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in, all the, in the Democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution. But not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good, he wrote. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Written by Alec de Tocqueville. He went on to say the cause of the goodness in America, this is what he wrote, check this out, was their ultimate belief, Americans' ultimate belief, that they would be held accountable for their actions on this earth. Yeah, that was what was preached from American pulpits, and people went out and acted like it. They believe very strongly that for an eternity in hell was a very strong possibility for them, and they adjusted their actions accordingly. 
Hell was a very real thing, and belief in hell guided actions, guided decisions, guided uh, uh, their lifestyles. And it wasn't until the early 20th century that, that people began mocking the concept of hell and began criticizing it and minimizing it. Think about the stereotype of the fire and brimstone preacher that everybody sees, right? Yeah, hell began to disappear from American pulpits. But see, people who believe they will be held accountable for their actions act very differently than people that think all bets are off. Think about the spoiled kid in Walmart who wants something, and they know mommy and daddy aren't going to stop them from crying. What does that child do? child, behave well? Does that child behave well? Is that, is that, are you thinking that that, oh, mommy, daddy, please, thank you, sir? No. That child throws an absolute fit because they can, right? And they know there will be no consequences for their actions. That's why they act that way. Yesterday, a New York Post article dated July 4th, 2020, stated that since the New York Police Department disbanded its special crime unit on June 15th, Three weeks ago, just three weeks ago, on June 15th, shootings are up 205%. Think about that. In just three weeks of people knowing there will be no consequences for their actions, that shootings have gone up 205%. And we think, we think that having no consequences is a good thing. You know, think about the actions of politicians. I'm not naming any names. We all know who we're talking about. Who know they're above the law. They know nothing's going to happen to them. They got their buddies in the FBI. They got their buddies in the Attorney General's office that, 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 that won't, you know, basically, if they're investigated, it'd be like sending Bonnie to investigate Clyde. And we're so shocked when Bonnie finds Clyde innocent. Think about, do they, are they moral, upright people that do what's best for other people? No, of course not. When there are no consequences for their actions, people act very, very differently. And it was the preaching of, of hell. It was the concept of eternal consequences that guided America in its foundation and led to her greatness. If I were Satan and I wanted to take down a church, I want to take down a country. I want to take down an individual. This is what I would do. I would keep everything, the concept of hell, out of everybody's mind. You can do whatever you want. No consequences. Have at it. Do whatever you want. That's what I would do if I were Satan trying to destroy a church or destroy a family, destroy a community, destroy a country. That's what I would do. Because people who think there are no consequences for their actions behave very differently than people that know they're facing judgment. I would mock it if I was Satan. I would ridicule it. I would minimize it. I would do anything I could to get pastors and Christians to talk, to to keep it out of their lingo. See, the truth is, is that there is accountability for our actions. That's why God made a place called hell. We cannot escape the eye of God. He sees everything. He knows everything. Jesus even said himself, what is done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. There's nothing you're going to be able to get away with. That's what Jesus said. There's nothing hidden, Jesus said, that won't be revealed. 
I remember when I first encountered justice other than my parents. I was a senior, senior in high school, and um, I was in a band, and we, had, uh, uh, we were recording our first album down at Renfro Valley in Rockcastle County. And I had driven down there, we had all driven down there, our first day of recording was done, and that was in the day before GPS. And uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a map or anything, well my friend who I was following took off before I got in the car, and, and, and so I had basically had to chase him, because if I got lost in Rockcastle County, I, there were no signs, I didn't know where I was going, no cell phones, nothing. And so he, he turns right out of, out of Renfro Valley and, and, and just basically speeds, and so I just, I, well, I ran a stop sign, and I happened to run a stop sign right in front of a Kentucky State Trooper. I was 17 years old, and I will never forget, if I live a thousand years, I will never forget the sight of blue lights in my rearview mirror for the first time. You all know what that's like, that sinking feeling, that terror feeling, because once the blue lights come on, you guys, it's over, okay? It's over. One moment I was free and clear. And the next moment I was busted. I remember that. I remember the speed at which I went from elation to horror. One moment I was free and clear. Next moment I was facing the consequences of my actions. That's what it's going to be like only a million times worse for a lot of us when we face the justice of God and we don't have Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the first reason. But the second reason, this makes even more sense to me, why God would create a place called hell. And this is gonna sound strange, but I'm gonna ask you to stay with me. It's called respect. Respect for you and me. Remember, God created us to be autonomous, living, thinking, breathing people. We're not robots. He created us. That way we cannot be commanded to love God or to follow God. And there are many of us in this world that do not like God. We don't like Jesus. We don't like what he has to say. We don't like him. We, 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 we don't want anything to do with him. Well, um, after that day in the, in the lumberyard where Dennis and I had the conversation, I asked him, I said, do you want to go to heaven when you die? And he goes, well, of course. I said, why? And he looked at me really funny. And, and, and I said, why do you want to go to heaven? God is there. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says that things in heaven are as God wants them to be. You don't want anything to do with God here on earth. Why would you want to spend an eternity with him where things are exactly as he wants them to be? I said, wouldn't that be hell to you? And he goes, I hadn't really thought about it like that. And I said, absolutely, because of his great respect for you and me. God is not going to sentence us to a lifetime of a living hell being with him if we don't want to be with him, if we don't want anything to do with him, if we don't want to follow his ways, if we don't think he's great, we don't think he's good. Um, we, he, he will not make us spend an eternity with him. He says, I respect you. Therefore, I am going to create a place where I am not, where you can go so you don't have to be around me. It's because I respect you. I'm not gonna force myself on you. 
Sending, to, sending people to hell, I guess, through that lens, is the ultimate gesture of respect from a loving God. You want nothing to do with him? I won't force you. But the problem is that people don't understand what it means to truly reject God. I, I remember hearing a, a, a statement, I want to go to he- heaven for the weather and hell for the company. You hear that? Like, I, I want to go to hell, so where all, all my friends are. Why would I want to go to heaven? I don't know anybody there. Well, as funny and cute as that is, it's completely wrong, and this is why. It's like a fish doesn't notice the water around it. We don't notice the effects of God around us. Uh, we've never been separated from. We take things for granted like we, 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 that we experience with his presence. We don't understand that they come from him. Um, here, here's an example. An American grows up with freedoms. Can anybody tell me this 4th of July weekend the five freedoms found in the First Amendment? What, what, what are they? You're exercising one of them right now. Religion. What else? Assembly. Absolutely. Speech, press, and petition. All right, there are five things. that you Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly, freedom to petition your government for redress of grievances. Okay? Those are things that we have grown up with. Um, the Second Amendment says we have the right to own firearms. Uh, we go on uh, that, that you have a right to a, a, a quick and, and speedy trial by jury of your peers. Uh, you have the right to not have uh, soldiers courted in your home at peace, during peacetime. Uh, right, uh, freedom from uh, cruel and unusual punishment. And the Bill of Rights goes on and on. Okay, so you grow up with that as an American. And you decide, like a lot of people these days, that uh, they don't like America. And they want to go someplace better, so they go to North Korea. Okay. And they get off the plane in North Korea, and, all, and, and, and they go to their, their place, and, and all of a sudden, Kim Jong-un does something that they don't like. And they go out, and they say in the street, I don't like what Kim Jong-un did. Well, the next day, there's a on their door from the secret police. And the secret police says, listen, you cannot say those things about our leader. And you say, well... Well then, it, well I don't like this. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go post on social media, and I'm gonna go write a letter to my newspaper about I don't like this. You know, no, no, no. There is no freedom of the press. That's ten years in the gulag. He said, well I don't like this. I'm gonna call my friends, and we're gonna talk about this. Said, no, 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 no right of assembly. That's another ten years in the gulag. I said, well, I don't like this. I'm going to petition, and I'm gonna write a petition. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get this changed. Uh, no, no right of petition. That's 10 more years in the gulag. And the guy says, well, shoot. I guess I'm going to just go to my church and I'm going to pray about this. And the guy says, ah, no freedom of religion. That is death for you. And the guy says, well, I thought I had these freedoms. And North Korean secret police looks at him and laughs and says, that was America. Not here. And the American as he's being led away to the gulag, says, well, at least I'll have the right to a a quick and speedy trial. And the North Korean goes, hmm, bad news. You don't have that either. See, when you grow up thinking things are the norm, it's very, very 
it's very much of a shock when you find that they're not the norm. I've got this flashlight here. See, I, I, I use this to shine on people that are sleeping during the sermon, you know, right over there. Um, what if someone was to say, I want light, but I don't like flashlights? I, I, I'll keep the light, but the flashlight, I, I want it out of here. And you say, well, there, we have a problem because the light emanates from the flashlight. You, you, the, the, the light is a byproduct of the flashlight. If I get rid of the flashlight, the light leaves too. You say, well, no, no, I, I don't want that. I, I, I just want the light, but I don't want the flashlight. Sorry. If you go, if you get rid of the flashlight, what emanates from the flashlight goes too. And see, what we have is God is in the center. And like the flashlight or like the rights found in America, things emanate from God. You know, we, we, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Also, things like things like friendship and caring and justice and any type of pleasure, uh, creativity, and just creation in general. And everything that you enjoy in life emanates from God, like the light emanates from the flashlight. And when God removes himself and creates a place where he is not, all of these things leave as well. Because like the flashlight, these things emanate from the character of God. We have never been without those. We don't understand that because we've never been separated from God. Even the atheist, even the non-believer, because they live in this world, experiences these things because God is still a part of this world. Well, in, in hell, God has, has completely removed himself from it. So all of these things are gone as well. You say, I want to go to heaven for the weather and hell for the company. No, you won't. Because friendship is gone, because that emanates from God. Love and joy, hope, cre anything creative, any, any pleasure, any caring, any self control, any gentleness, any goodness, all gone, because that is emanating in this world from God. That is what you walk away from when you reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is the message that. Christians for 1,900 years have heard and has disappeared from American pulpits. So the question is, how do I know which gate, which the narrow gate, which the broad gate, how do I know which one I'm heading towards? Well, Galatians 
says this, I say, Paul writes this, walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, you are not to do whatever you want. In other words, what Paul is saying, listen up, people, inside of you is a bratty little kid demanding its own way. It's in you, it's in me, it is part of what Paul calls the sinful nature, Okay? And it is our job to, to, to recognize that and, and, and act accordingly. If you want to know the narrow gate, if you want to be on the narrow gate that Jesus talked about, enter through the narrow gate, leads to life. These are the signposts. These are the, these are the things that are along, that mark that. Through the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The broad gate. Has a very different sight, sign, signs on it. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. This is, this is, this is what the life that, that is headed towards a, towards a broad gate looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is very, very easy to know which path you're on because your life, your life, the signs you see on your path, in your life, are evident all. You know, the entire concept, you guys, of hell is unsettling to me. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up. I don't like it. I don't like the concept of hell. I don't like to talk about it. I don't like to think about it. You know, as I was preparing for this message, you know who I also found out doesn't like it? God. God does not like hell. God has done everything he possibly can to ensure you don't go there. Let's walk through history, shall we? He created us. He created everything, declared it good. Our ancestors didn't want anything to do with him. wanted to do their own thing. So he kicked him out of the garden. Gave him the laws to, 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 to follow by Moses. Moses, he gave him, this is how I want you to live. They said, forget you. We're going to do our own thing. And so God sent prophet after prophet after prophet. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Amos. Uh, you, you can read about him in the Bible. Every one of them is like, come back to God. This is going to end badly for you. And, and they, the, the Bible says, stoned him, beat him ridiculed him, mocked him, threw him out of the, of the kingdom. We don't want to hear from you. So God's like, man, how can I save these people from hell? I got it. I will send my son. So he sent his son, Jesus, to be the example, to teach us. We didn't want to hear from him either. Um, the, the, he, he, he was a man of sorrows. He was, what, he, was, he was persecuted. Then he was killed by the Roman authorities, condemned by the Jewish authorities, killed by the Roman authorities, and then because they didn't want his message. And then he resurrected from the dead, taking the sins of humanity on himself, and he resurrected from, from the dead to ensure all who call on his name would find eternal life. And still, people want nothing to do with him. So God looks at this world and said, listen, I've done everything I can to save you from hell. 
I don't want you going there. I have done everything I possibly can. I have opened the door. Now it's on you. Now it's your job to walk through. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God has done everything, and he stepped back and he said, now it's your choice. I've done everything that I can. And we who have rejected God for the 6,000 years of human history have the gall to look up and say, well, God, how in the world could you send people to hell? Aren't you just a monster? We have the gall to say that. Well, on the day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, Peter preached the first Christian sermon. It says that the crowd, after hearing the message, was cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do? I don't know if there's anybody in here who's asking that question. What, what shall we do? If there's anyone online asking, what shall we do? Well, Peter answered. He said, repent and be baptized for the gift of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness of your sins. That's been the church's message for the last 2,000 years, people. To repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the gift of eternal life. And it is there for anyone who would take it right now. It's there for anyone. Anyone that is ready to do that, I would ask you to make that commitment right now. Let me talk with you. Let me pray with you. We've got a baptistry right there. We'll be happy to baptize you. Let us know. But it's because of hell that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. It was, it was because of hell that he went to the cross. Jesus takes hell very seriously. I think we should too. Repent and be baptized for the cleansing of your life from sin. Then you can walk securely. No matter what's going on out in the world, you can walk securely in the knowledge and that, that your, your home is heaven, your place in eternity is secured. More importantly, knowing that you are in close fellowship with the God of the universe. How can a loving God send people to hell? How can intelligent people not choose him?